Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. I am Jason Waller here with my co-host, Alex Meschi. Join us as we take a real look at reality. Welcome to the first episode of Grumpy Young Men with Alex Meschi and Jason Waller. So this is our first episode and, you know, I thought what better way to kind of introduce ourselves and our relationship because, you know, we go back about 30 years, which for some people might not be a long time, but for us, I mean, that's pretty much 98% of our lifetime. So yeah. Why so how, you- uh, how do we meet, bro? Well, I mean, we have similar but different stories, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that I was your savior with cheese popcorn, and you probably saw me as somebody you just passed the time with until your mom came to pick you up. <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Preschool. I'll never forget. I walked in there, and I saw this kid come up to me, these big old brown eyes, and he goes, man, come with me. We'll be okay. He had some popcorn. Took that stuff right from him, and the rest was history. Yeah, you know, it's funny looking back at uh, differenting parenting techniques, Uh, whereas your mom kind of was trying to uh, sell you into staying, that you're going to have all this fun, versus my dad goes, sit here, shut up, you're going to be here for five hours, I'll be back later. (laughs) And pretty much, you know, bought me a bag of cheese popcorn. So I was distracted enough for him to just kind of slip out the door and, you know, go off to work or whatever he was doing at the time. Um, but it's just, it's funny to see the different approaches there. Yeah. But it, it's, it's a trip dude. And, uh, we grew up with great, great families, we both got amazing parents, uh, parents who are both still married and got some stability, some structure in our life. Uh, but we've had, we've had one hell of a journey, man. We've had one hell of a journey and it's, uh, it's been interesting all the way through, ele- uh, preschool, elementary school, uh, middle school, high school, uh, and then some gaps in between and. And here we are today. Yeah. So I think it'd be kind of interesting to do a little compare contrast. You know, what are your most memorable times together versus mine? So I'll go ahead and start. And, you know, my top three have to be one, the giant trampoline in the backyard of the Nelly Gale house. Yeah. And the fact that somehow we made it through with all our arms and legs. Yeah. On top of having a tree house above that, you know, we try to jump out of onto the trampoline once. Yeah. Um, Riding bicycles and tormenting that girl Angela on your street. Yep, I remember, remember that, that vividly. Yeah, man, <laughs> I, those those are all good memories. I'll never forget. Uh, your dad's not going to be stoked on this, but whenever we'd go to like the playhouse places where they'd have like all the balls <laughs> and stuff, and like you know, like the big, uh, maybe they'd be at McDonald's or whatever. You know, what I mean, I I'll never forget. I tell him, tell him you let's hide from your dad in the balls, dude, and I'll never forget you getting picked up by your underwear, dude, and dragged out. <laughs> That was uh that was one of the one for the books. Uh never forget your uh your one of my favorite memories is the the food at your mom and dad's house, dude. Some of the best food I've ever had in my life. The batting cage in the back, dude. Alex did not know how to really play baseball, right? And uh at least if, I don't know, he was coordinated and stuff, but he just didn't really he would he would didn't he was a little bit later of a bloomer. And so we started throwing the ball around and all of a sudden, like six months later, there's a there's like basically Mark Cressy baseball camp in his backyard. And lo and behold, he ends up bypassing me with his baseball career and ends up going to play in college and, and crushed it. I'll never, it was so fascinating to see how, how, uh, 
how you embraced that sport and took it under your wing and how much you excelled. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's cool to talk about baseball, especially since we don't have a season right now because of this whole COVID-19 quarantine. Um, but you know, looking back at baseball, cause we did do a Mark Cressy camp together and we play in the backyard or in the street or at the park or go down to the field or whatever. But it always blew my mind that we never actually played together on a team. Like we never wore the same uniform. We didn't. That's crazy. We knew through cross pollination, we knew uh, people that knew each other that played with each other and stuff, but we did never, we never played. Yeah. We not, not on a club team, not on, you know, we never played against each other in high school. So that's something that blows my mind considering how involved we both were with baseball. Um, Cause I mean, for maybe I'm speaking, uh, putting words in your mouth, but I would say that baseball was pretty much our primary sports growing up. Like Randy yeah. had football. Uh, Ricky was doing the beach and skating thing more than sports. And those are my brothers, by the way. And um, for us, it was baseball. Yeah. You know, we had soccer in a little bit, but we didn't really care for that. But, you know, there was nothing better than swinging a stick and hitting things and, you know, trying to run people over on the bases. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, I grew up active in, in most stuff, whether it be surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, wakeboarding, baseball. Uh, I think my, as far as like a team sport, baseball was my go to for sure. I mean, it's something that I was very, very involved in, something I, I grew up loving and playing, still love to this day. Um, but obviously, as my journey continued, alcohol got in the way and uh, partying got in the way, entertainment business got in the way, and I completely shifted at the age of 17 into a totally different lifestyle. So, you know, part of this show is talking about uh, our generation in comparison to some others. Because for those that don't know, if you grew up in the 90s, whether you want to believe it or not, I'm going to you know, kind of force my opinion in saying that we've had the most polarizing generation in America's history. And the reason why I say that is because we've experienced the most rapid acceleration in trends, whether it's telecommunications, like look at cell phones to the internet, to how business is conducted, to how people even interact these days. Um, and you know, we talk about baseball and it's even interesting to look out at how baseball has changed. I mean, when we were growing up, it was a contact sport. Your coach was trying to convince you to run people over despite it being against your moral integrity of, you know, I don't want to hurt this guy, but Hey, you want to win, right? You <laughs> yeah. want that trophy. And then not only that, but you know, when we were first growing up, we had these huge, like they were like whack-a-mole mallets, big barreled bats. And then next thing you know, the size and the diameter is being restricted and the materials are changing and this and that, because for one reason or another, I'd say that baseball got soft, you know, after the bust, uh, Buster Posey incident, it's like, Hey man, you don't want to get run over. Well, you're making millions of dollars. I don't really feel bad for you. Not only that, you should have been standing there right without the ball, especially. Yeah. So it, it's crazy that even baseball, something that we grew up with has changed over the last 30 years a lot. And it's one of those sports you didn't really think could change that much, but it has changed a lot. Absolutely. I mean, when we were kids, you know, watching our stars and stuff um, and collecting baseball cards, who would have thought all the baseball cards and all the players you liked were PEDs and, you know, steroid guys. Yeah. You, you love that, you know, Mark McGuire getting ripped and Jose Canseco and your 500 yeah. rookie cards that you were all so proud of. No, I, still got them. I still got them. <laughs> but it, it's crazy. Like even that, you know, the, the PEDs back then were, you know, taking steroids and guys were getting huge and then looking at how PEDs and stuff are being conducted now, especially after seeing that Lance Armstrong movie, like 
the amount of work and effort because of, you know, more stringent testing and evolution and policies and regulations and this and that, like everything is changing, whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, it is. It is a lot. And it's crazy to look at a sport like that. And I think that kind of ties into, you know, what, what else we're wanting to do and talk about within the show is, you know, what's changed so much in the world, not only it being so polarizing, but how, uh, society escapes so much from what reality really is. I mean, we live in such a false sense of reality today and looking at, you know, um, you know, this instant gratification and, uh, and people pleasing and, you know, putting forth hard work, you know, is, is, is not as, as common as it used to be. Um, and I think it's, it's identifying that looking at addiction and looking how suicide rates have gone up so much. Mental health has gone up so much. Substance abuse has gone up so much. Uh, and, you know, and looking at this, this virus that we're, we're, we're facing right now, this COVID and coronavirus, um, you know, looking at the stats and the statistics of it, if we were just to have, you know, one, one hundredth of the percent of response to the opiate crisis, we would have saved tens of thousands of lives. And it's just, it's just fascinating to me how, you know, somebody that's in recovery and that's, you know, it's impacted my life so much, how something like that, you know, just for example, I mean, I'm going to pigeonhole this for a second is, is looking at that, how, how it always is just pushed to the side. And I think the other crazy factor is, is as we've been isolating, which is the worst thing for substance abuse, mental health, uh, and, and suicide, all these different things that people are struggling with, you know, to be isolated, it's wait until this thing's over, you know, God bless everybody, but it is going to be so bad. Well, so on that, you know, I just happened to read an article this morning where a well-respected doctor from the United Kingdom came out and said that the interruptions in medical treatment are going to take out more people than COVID itself. So now what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that, you're talking about addiction and isolation and mental health issues, which we know are apparent because that's, you know, what we do in our day job. But what he's referring to don't even have to do with that. They're talking straight like cancer treatment and serious medical oh, meaning illness. people that can't even go in and get treated for their actual issues. Exactly. And the biggest problem that he stated is that when you're starting one of these cancer programs, it's a step one through 10 in order on a frequency timeline. So you can't just stop at six and then pick up at seven, you know, two months later, once quarantine's over, it's you either start over, which these things are not cheap. You know, we're talking tens, hundreds, even up to a million dollars for some of these treatments. But these people are basically put on ice because of this quarantine. So that leads to kind of my perception on this whole thing. Is COVID-19 real? Yeah. I totally agree that it's real. Is it killing people? Absolutely. Is it as bad as the news and media is making out to be? Eh, I don't think I'm an expert on the subject to go one way or the other, but I will say from a personal liberty and freedom perspective, give people the opportunity to choose to assess their own risk. If somebody is dying from cancer, the last person that should tell them whether or not they can go outside to get treatment should be the government. That's yeah. the way I see it. If now, if their medical caregiver is like, Hey man, you know, I'm worried about that's a totally different interaction, right? But being completely barred from even having that discussion or making that decision, I think is where things are then being overstepped. Yeah, no, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And I think it's also just interesting looking back at, uh, I was just, I was just looking at emails this morning and I got something from, uh, president Bush, uh, of all people. He, uh, uh, was talking about in 2005 how to assess and address a pandemic and everything just got pushed to the wayside 
And it's just fascinating to see, you know, all these things that we've talked about and looked at over the course of time when we all knew it was going to was going to happen. Were we really in a state uh, to be able to effectively take this on? I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, okay. So president Bush making a statement in 2005, talking about pandemic preparedness, right? This whole COVID-19 is not the first pandemic that we've had. It's not the first pandemic we've had even in our lifetime. You know, a lot of people forget about H1N1 in 2009, which took out a significant bigger number of people. Correct. Infected almost 65% of the population and people don't talk about it. Now, Whereas we're talking about something that may or may not have stemmed from China, you know, that's neither here nor there, but H1N1 was confirmed to come out of Mexico, which is literally right under our nose. And we didn't even shut the border down for that. So with all this mass hysteria and panic, by looking at previous, you know, uh, pandemics or statistics, it's not really adding up, you know, and and me being more on the uh, analytical side, looking at statistics and data, there's a lot of conflicting information there. So you have people that are testing positive. You have all these spikes that they keep talking about. Well, they never mention that testing kits are becoming more available, which would then lead to a spike. And nobody has yet mentioned an article that Stanford University has put out. Now, you know, barring jokes aside, Stanford is kind of like the Ivy League of the West Coast, but they put out a uh it was a science experiment, I guess you could say, or a survey where they went around Santa Clara County and they rounded up random people and tested them for coronavirus. What they estimated is that in Santa Clara County itself, which is in the Bay Area, but it's not exactly a part of San Francisco or you know Oakland or any of those larger uh, counties, they estimated that there's about 35,000 people that are positive based on the sample size, right? So what that did in terms of statistics is it reduced the mortality rate of COVID-19. Now, mind you, this is based on that particular sample size from the 4% number to 6% number that they were kind of hovering around down to about 0.0014. So for people who uh, may struggle a little bit of math, take your population times that by 0.00014. And that's how many people you can expect to die, which out of 35,000, that's like 20 people. Now, is it worth shutting down the economy for 20 people or by extrapolating Orange County's numbers where we live, about 3,500 people will get sick, okay, if not more, uh, where they they might need. So what I'm hearing you say, though, is that basically there is way more infected people out there than they are projecting, and there's a lot less death rates. Basically, exactly. So there are a lot more people that have it than we know about because we don't have the ability to test everybody. And once we start adding more people to that sample size, then obviously, you know, the deaths, if we're testing them, they're positive. Chances are they're still alive because they're being tested, right? Correct. It's going to start reducing the uh, ratio of deaths to cases, which then decreases the mortality rate, which Stanford already said that this is less than the flu now. Uh, even though before, you know, everybody's making a big old hubbub, it's killing more people than the flu. It's not the so same. So why do you think, why do you think the media is pushing it so much to, to keep everybody in fear? That's a good question. That's some, you know, conspiracy theory area Let's kind hear of stuff. It. So if you had to ask me for my honest answer. No, I want you to lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, I mean, most of these things really boil down to money. 
Um, when we're talking about something called hydroxychloroquine that costs about 13 cents a tablet and everybody's all gung ho about being against it in regards to the media, you know, medical professionals, yet you hear about people in the actual hospital, you know, going through it themselves that are asking for it and then coming out of the hospital five to 10 days later, more or less cured or, you know, uh, in stable condition versus reading about an article. I think it was on Friday. Uh, there's an American pharmaceutical company called Gilead that's making a uh, vaccine trial that they're going through right now, and they just started doing human testing. Uh, the dosage difference is that hydrox- uh, hydroxychloroquine is about 13 cents a tablet. You stick that with the Z pack, you're talking maybe an all in, what, $200 with insurance, and that's with bad insurance versus $3,000 a dose for the Gilead's vaccine. And it is less likely to work than the 13 cent option. So I don't know if it's a matter of these pharmaceutical companies wanting to um, recuperate perhaps from the opioid uh, massacre that they faced in court that they're still going through and possibly facing some bankruptcies or if it's, you know, uh, people trying to make money on the stock market that have influence and affluence enough to create market swings, which you may be able to talk on since I know you've been kind of active in the stock market. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough to be able to talk on that. I mean, I just, I'm looking at it. It's very interesting just to see where the stock market is. And I mean, just how that whole, that whole beast operates, uh, you know, it's just fascinating to me to see the swings that it has. I mean, when really, We've had no real shift and change besides knowing that, you know, the numbers are, are plateauing basically. But I mean, there's no real sign of of when our economy is going to fully open. And even if it did today, just looking at like airlines, just for common knowledge, again, just looking at it, even if it opened up today, I mean, how many people are going to go hop on a plane and do stuff like, you know, traveling and go to hotels and different things and when their their stocks are staying, you know, pretty, pretty, I mean, they dropped a bunch. Don't get me wrong. They lost a bunch. But I mean, just looking at it, there's no real information to see how the the airlines and different companies are are, are you know going to get out of this and i mean it's just it's fascinating to see how influential i mean just based on media and and you know comments and just and people's perceptions on things can really steer uh the economy and stuff i mean because if you look at it just looking at the numbers i mean it's like airlines should be out of business right now yeah it's you know the stock market has always been a fascinating subject to me cuz there were times when i played the penny stocks trying to live my uh Warren Buffett, you know, dream of two 10 baggers and you're a millionaire, which is dang near impossible. But um, it was curious to see that when you're actually deep in this stuff and looking at charts and markers and trends and patterns, and you're listening to Jim Cramer on MSNBC and all these other Forbes and financial articles and this and that. The thing that I kind of concluded after I pulled all my money out of the stock market because I got done gambling was that. It's almost like pseudoscience in how these valuations come up because one, they're partly based on emotions. Um, two, they are partly based on actual financial predictions, but three, I feel like these analysts in regards to stock market analysts almost have these like models made out of yarn that they just try and loop them around whatever points they can make sense of to either influence the market one way or the other. Yeah. And Jim Cramer actually was busted 
for knowingly pumping stocks that he owned portions of, which would then be a conflict of interest. And in the stock market world, they call that a pump and dump. Basically, you build hype in your sphere of influence until everybody starts buying it because they think they're missing out. And because one person starts buying it, it drives up the demand. 10 other people see that it creates a panic. Next thing you know, your stock price is doubled. And that first person that created that pump and dump already sold all his shares for double his profit. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest things I ran into when playing the penny stocks, because I mean, a thousand dollars, you're, you're swaying a, a, a penny stock, you know, one to two cents and everybody's freaking out. Cause they just made triple their money. But at the end of the day, you can only get your money if someone's willing to buy your share. So one thing that happened to me is I had all these wonderful shares of Washington mutual that I bought in at two tenths of a cent. It was now at eight cents and I couldn't find a buyer for my shares. So I lost about $40,000 <laughs> and I still have my shares sitting in some Scott trade account or some worth like 26 cents or something. Jeez, man. No, it's a trip. <laughs> so I think, you know, looking at all this though, I mean, where do you, so we've, you know, just, I know we've, we've kind of started in the, in the beginning of us, just a brief history of how we met, you know, uh, you know, talking about certain things that are going on today. And, you know, really our goal from this show is is to have open conversation, open dialogue. Uh, you know, that that we we're not saying we're right or wrong, you know, it's our opinions on it, but it's to create more of a conversation and, and bring things to light. Um, you know, and and I'm I hope you guys take some stuff away from this. We'd love to get your guys' insight, your comments. You know, if you have questions for us that you want us to talk about that you feel like are pressing matters, please leave them in the comment section below. Um, but every week we're basically gonna just, you know, take what's going on within we're gonna go back in time some of the time and go pull out stuff that we've seen uh, you know, that's happened during our lifetime, and also translate uh translating that into what's going on currently. Uh, and to see really where these shifts are happening and if it's going in the right direction or not. Uh, you know, today, I think it's, we live in a scary time. I think it's a very, uh, it's a world that is, is unknown. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that I believe in God and I, I turn in trust in him for everything that we, uh, that goes on. Um, but that's really kind of where this is at, you know, and, and Alex, I don't know if you want to chime in on that or not. Yeah. I mean, the main thing, uh, for our listeners out there is to understand that we're not trying to force any opinion, uh, into your head. All we're trying to do is create a discussion and the best thing we could ask, you know, obviously other than, uh, subscribing and downloading the show is to look into what we're saying and actually do your own research and come to your own conclusion. And when you come to that conclusion, talk to people about it. Now there's going to be some people that are going to start screaming at you and telling you that you're wrong, but you know, those are people that you can't really have a conversation with or you probably don't want to anyways. And we all know some of those people. Yeah. It's probably better to just be civil, but for those individuals that are able to critically think and really, you know, read between the lines, cause it's more than just seeing a, a clickbait news article. Um, you got to actually read the body, which a lot of people don't do. And then they start thinking the house is on fire when there was just something burning in the oven, you know? Yeah. And so take the time to do your own homework, form your own opinion and whatever you believe in actually believe in it and stand for it. Well, I think that's the biggest thing is the reason why we want to have discussion is because we are so divided as a country now 
And it's just amazing to see how many people don't even want to hear opinions or topics or thoughts, you know, it's just their way or the highway. And again, it's, it's, again, I know I don't want to contradict what you just said, but I also think it's, it's being able to have open dialogue. A lot of this stuff, Alex and I have a lot of similar beliefs, but we also have a lot of questioning and, and, uh, you know, commentary around the discussions that we have, because sometimes I may think I'm fully right and I hear him out and I'm like, ah, okay, I can totally see it, that perspective or vice versa. So I think that's really what we're trying to engage here is to be a little bit more open-minded uh, because we're not going to get anywhere with this divide that we have in the country that we do today. Um, you know, and we're just wanting to make this a better place and actually having, you know, a place for our kids to grow up in a safe sanctuary uh, to be able to have, you know, a future to look forward to, because I can tell you at the rate we're going, I don't know what future it looks like we're going to be having. I'll tell you one thing. It's not one I want to bring kids into. No. So thanks for joining us today. Catch us next week. This is Grumpy Young Men with Alex Meschi and Jason Waller on the Believe Network. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.